I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please, sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobes, and today I'm interviewing somebody that is extremely inspirational, has an amazing story. Uh, many of you know him as Fit Men Cook, a.k.a. Kevin Curry, and... Kevin is the founder of Fit Men Cook, an online community that inspires men and women to eat healthy and stay fit with healthy recipes that, in Kevin's words, are never, ever boring. With over 2 million followers around the world, Curry has become one of today's most sought-after personalities in nutrition, health, and wellness. And, you know, I'm, I'm not only excited to have him on here because of his story. I'm, I have the app. I'm a big fan of it. I use it all the time. So, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today. What's up, man? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so the, the one of the things that I wanted to start out with is, you know, this this podcast is all about overcoming adversity, and one of the things I think um, is interesting about your story is how you used cooking and meal prep um, and changing your diet um, to overcome a lot of adversity in your life. I know you had some struggles after graduating from Harvard. I know in the financial crisis, it kind of took you for a major setback and went through a bad breakup, so like... Talk me, talk us through like how you use food um, to kind of change not only your body but your mindset as well. Yeah, you know, um, just like you said, I was at a pretty low point after the 2008 crisis kind of hit. You know, bad breakup and then loss of job and then kind of find yourself back at um, a really, uh, like I guess, like familiar place. I found myself back home with my parents and just really just wasn't happy, you know, with, with the person that I was and um, and where I was in life. Uh, like more importantly, so with that, you start to um, you start to basically therapize with food. And other um, vices, so I had food and alcohol, and um, began to gain weight. And so it just basically kind of ballooned into a point where I knew that I needed to do something about my health and wellness. And part of it was just being disappointed with hiring personal trainers. Um, the personal trainers, you know, that I would hire, they were in that mindset that they could eat for fuel and not for taste. Um, and I just can't do that. I was raised in the South, and I was raised with like good food. And just after a while, just there's only so much chicken, brown rice, and broccoli you can eat before you start to strangle somebody or strangle yourself. Right, right, right. I turned to cooking because I was just pretty indignant and, and this idea that like I didn't think that God would put us on this earth with all these amazing cuisines and foods and say that you couldn't eat it. You can't, you can't um, you know, like enjoy that. So when I turned to cooking, it was much more um, out of desperation that I, I knew that I needed to take my health into my own hands and that I, and I really couldn't afford to financially, but also just like um, e uh, emotionally afford to put my health into someone else's hands and be disappointed again. Um, so I started cooking. And the cool thing about cooking was that it really kind of awakened something inside. I always tell men, especially men, but I just tell you know everybody um, that – it's almost like you kind of connect right back to like your primal self or back to those like primitive times where you were like a hunter and gatherer. There's just something that kind of happens whenever you're in the kitchen preparing food for yourself, whether it's a vegan meal or whether it's, you know, like a, you know, like a meat based meal with like steak and potatoes, there's something that just really gets excited inside of you. And so when I started to cook, I realized that I started to feel better. 
not only because the food was actually good for me, it was healthier, but just the boost that I got from a serotonin standpoint, just by being able to walk through a process from start to finish, it made me feel good. It made me feel accomplished. And so, and, and people out there, if you're depressed, then you know that it's really hard to stay motivated. It's really hard to even get up in the morning. It's hard to even check the mail. So think about being able just to cook a recipe from start to finish. You feel pretty darn good about yourself. And the more I did that, the, you know, the better I felt. And so I just cooked my way back to happiness. So did you have like simple rituals you would follow each day? Was it like, all right, I'm going to eat one clean meal a day? Was it I'm going to you know, do such and such amount of time of meal prep? Like, What kind of things did you do every day to kind of help you get out of that depression through food? Yeah. Um, so it, it wasn't just like a one clean meal a day. It was. Um, it, it started out a little bit differently than that. So it started out much more like, let me go ahead and 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 do at least one one healthy meal um, for the entire week. So I started out with meal prep, right? And I instead of just overhauling my entire diet and doing everything at once, I said, let me just prep my lunch meal. And I started to prep my lunch for about two or three weeks, and it, and it got easier. And I was like, okay, well, lunch wasn't so bad. Maybe I can start out and do breakfast. All right, breakfast wasn't so bad. Then I had lunch and breakfast. And then all of a sudden, I was like, all right, I'm really tempted to go and cheat after I go and work out. So why don't I prep my post-workout meal or my dinner? And then all of a sudden, over time, with the course of a couple months, without me even knowing it, I'd really just revamp my entire diet. And my regular diet my day-to-day diet became a healthy diet. It was it was largely unintentional, but also very intentional, right? And I say that it was unintentional because you kind of wake up one day and realize that, wow, I'm not craving the fast food. I'm not craving, you know, pizza. I'm not I'm I'm not craving those you know those sweets any longer. And what I had started out doing just by just doing like one healthy meal, that's actually become my entire diet. Um, and it wasn't something that I was just trying to do. I just kind of grew into that. Yeah. I mean, and I think it, it, you have to really start with where you're at and do what works for you. And I think what you've said is just so spot on that so many people try to overhaul it so quickly and they don't even like try and start from square one. I mean, because you think about if you've had a bunch of unhealthy rituals and habits for decades or 10 years or whatever it is, trying to completely transform everything in the overnight is kind of setting yourself up for failure. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. You know, I've, I've got that T-shirt and gained some weight and all that. So um, I understand that whenever you try to overhaul it um, overnight, you you run the risk of, of just getting burnt out um, and then going right back to those unhealthy habits. And so it's just kind of like like lifting weights and working out. If you're working up for a marathon, you're not going to – the first race that you run is not going to be a marathon, right? I would hope not. If you do, you will learn very quickly that was the – that was the wrong thing to do. Your first race is probably going to be like a 5K or maybe even a walk and then a 5K and then a 10K and then a half marathon and then a full marathon. You work your way up to that. And that's the same way that we should be looking at our diets. But I just think in this society and in our society, rather, um, especially with, with social media, um, just pummeling us with so many images of what health and wellness is that we try to get to the end goal in Five weeks or less, two weeks or less, six weeks to abs and other things like that where we try to overhaul and just try to fast track our diets. But habits aren't made like that. And I told myself this and I tell people that I work with, even my parents, like, you know, look at where you are right now. You just didn't eat a burger or I mean or eat something like unhealthy and then that happened to you. These are things that have been learned over time. 
and you've built up these things over time. So it's going to take some time to undo and to unlearn some of those unhealthy habits. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think it's just we live in a society today where we want – you know, the results that we're, that we're intended to get maybe three to six months from now, we want them yesterday. And I think being able to be patient, be faithful, and just know whatever is meant to happen is going to happen in the time it's supposed to and just doing the necessary things each day. I, I know in your cookbook um, you, you covered a lot, right? But I think one of the things that I really enjoyed reading about was your the, the things that people do as far as healthy eating the wrong way. I know you're, you're not a food-for-fuel guy, which I agree with. Food has to taste good. Um, what do you think are the, the, the most common you know, healthy eating things that people kind of do the wrong way and they can do a better job of? Um, I think, you know, like one of them is, is what we just covered, just kind of overhaul, just trying to overhaul your diet, like right away, that's going to lead to burnout. Um, I used to do this thing too, that I just realized that it was the wrong way to approach it. Like whenever you get excited about starting out something new, it's super sexy, super appealing. So you walk into the grocery store, you see the produce section and you're like, heck yeah, I'm going to eat all this. And you start to shop with your eyes, and I call these aspirational buys. You just start buying a whole bunch of stuff just because it looks good and and you feel good buying it. Fast forward a week from now or even maybe like midweek, you got a science project growing in your fridge because you're not going to eat it. So one thing to do is just kind of temper that and to go into the grocery store like with a plan. So I would, you know, for me, I would give myself like one ingredient each week, one, one new ingredient each week. And I would just buy that one thing and I would go into the internet and I would search for a recipe using that one ingredient. And so I kind of built up my kitchen competency, my kitchen IQ over time um, instead of what I was doing before was that I was trying to buy everything and trying to do and trying to eat healthy like all at once and incorporate all these things. Um, another thing that I that I really had to get um, down was to realize that I'm running my own race and it's so much harder to do in, in this age just because we're inundated with so many images about what health and wellness is. And then also we inundate ourselves with a whole bunch of images of what we um, idolize, what we think health and wellness should look like for us. And so the, the danger of that, it's a good thing in terms of it's motivating, right, because you got this idea in your mind. But it also can be really dangerous because when you fall short of that, we're a lot harder on ourselves. Um, for not looking like a certain way, for not being like that person that we're looking at on social media or on the news or on our magazine covers. So one thing I had to learn was that, Kevin, you're running your own race, and everyone is going to have an opinion about that, and that's fine, but everyone is not you. So you need to really find out what's working for you. And so to do that, I had to turn off the noise. I had to... um, not listen to so many people who were trying to tell me what to do and what to eat. And I just try to figure out like myself. Um, and that, and I, and I emerged much happier. Um, and you don't really realize the impact that reinforcing some of those images does on your psyche, on your overall happiness. So making sure that you're doing this for you, is a really, really, really critical thing to get at, um, you know, to understand from jump. Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. And, and having that bigger that bigger vision for what you're doing, like the bigger method behind the action you're taking is, is super um, 
important for keeping you on track when things get tough, right? And I know for you, you battled a lot of depression. Um, you battled a lot of mental health issues. Where did all that come from? Like, where did that come from? Was it just the breakup? Was it, um, you know, everything that kind of happened through school? Like, or did, did, was there some things that happened in your childhood if, that maybe contributed to that as well? Yeah, so depression is going to vary from person to person. For me, um, it's something that I've struggled with my entire life. And when you start going to therapy and you listen to your therapist and stuff like that, they begin to unpack things for you and explain things and put structure around it. So I do recommend people out there, um, even if you're listening to this and it sounds similar to your story, that's an awesome thing. But I do recommend that you just go and you talk to somebody. Um, especially men, we tend to not do that, but man, as soon as I started going to that, my life just kind of changed and I saw life very differently. For me, depression was always there. My parents picked up on my depression, um, at a very young age. I grew up in a faith-based, um, you know, household. So uh, that and mental health was something that was kind of, um, it was like the remedy for that was just to go to church and to pray about it. And um, maybe a lot of people out there can resonate with that or, you know, they understand that. But the danger in that was that I really felt that like, like my faith wasn't strong enough, that I wasn't strong enough to serve God um, because I would always struggle with like depression. So my depression was always there. But there are some circumstances in life where things are going well and it can just kind of lay dormant. Right. So I had it a lot when I was in middle school and the end of high school and when I hit college. Um, because of my activity level and what was going on and just um, th- things that were – I was so involved that the depression went – was was kind of dormant. And then it wasn't until grad school when those things happened, this, the circumstances changed where that depression was really, really heavy. And, and the way that I responded to it was just – it just kind of triggered it. Um, and so that's what kind of happened to me. And, and, and so I, I've worked through that. Um, it took some time. Um, but I was so glad that I did it because even now I'm proud of myself for being able to articulate that, um, because so much of my life I've spent feeling that something was wrong with me. And if you struggle with, with chronic depression, um, I want you to know there's nothing wrong with you and what you're feeling is not out of the ordinary and what you're feeling is not weird. Um, you're perfectly okay where you are. You do need help. And just like everybody else, um, Sometimes you just need a little bit more help than other people, um, and that's the way they, you know that I begin to look at it. So um, I just begin to have my own type of self-care routine, so that way when I feel those low moments coming on, I know how to react to them. Gosh, I, I, that's so, so true and so relatable. I mean, what you said about going to therapy, I mean, as somebody who's been in, in, in and out of therapy myself – for the good part of 20 years, I understand. I've struggled with, off and on with depression and anxiety my whole life as well. And it's interesting that, you know, food is what kind of did it for you. For me, it was fitness. Fitness saved my life when I was incarcerated in jail. And then I actually would stay home on the weekends when I got out to keep myself out of trouble and I'd watch the Food Network. So I would watch, you know, like Guy Fieri and I would watch, you know, Bobby Flay and Giada. So, and I would learn how to cook myself. Now, I didn't turn it into the passion that, that you have um, but what it did for me is it taught me the importance of trying to make food taste good and how, you know, you are what you eat in a way. And if you want to change your body, you got to change your food. Was cooking always a passion of yours growing up or did you just all of a sudden just be like, you know what, if, if I want to change my body, I got to like, I got to get, um, I got to get some different fuel into my body. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, cooking was not a passion of mine. Um, 
food was, though. I mean, I grew up in, in, in the South, so growing up in Texas. Well, first off, I was born in Philly. So, you you, know, are you I an Eagles up, fan? No, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Uh-huh, gotcha. um, so, but, you know, I, I was born in Philly, and but the crazy thing is that all of my family is very Southern. So it's like my mom is from Louisiana. My dad's from South Carolina. They met in Louisiana. And then at some point, the entire family in Louisiana moved up to Philadelphia. So there was like a pocket of Southerners <laughs> up there in Philly. And that's when I was born. So it was this really cool um, blend of like, I grew up with like Philly cheese steaks and, and, and good, you know, wings from like the, you know, the corner store and stuff like that. And then also at home, we just had really rich Southern food. So moving to Texas, we had even more soul food. And then I got introduced to Mexican food. So I grew up with like really good flavors. Like I knew what good flavor tastes like, but I didn't know how to cook. Um, watching my mom cook every Sunday for, for, you know, for soul food Sunday, that was something. But I just never, I never really had the interest rather just to go into the kitchen and begin to cook. That's cool. That's crazy. I mean, it's kind of I, I, what I like about you, what you and your story is how like how real you are with it and how you're like you're not just one of these typical guys who's like, all right, like I'm going to start just cooking and making healthy meals. Like you took a passion from when you were a kid of eating, you know, like the soul food and eating like the southern hospitality type um, meals, if you will. And then it kind of made it your own into the into the app and into like your book and into your brand. Now, how did the, how did the Fit Men cook? How did that evolve? Like, did it just, was it just something that just automatically came to you when you were doing your blog on Tumblr? Like, how did that name and everything like kind of like like walk me through how it started on the the blog, then to social media, and then now you know into the app and then the book and everything. Yeah, it started out. Um, Fit Men cook wasn't wasn't it wasn't it's it became a passion project, but it didn't start out that way. It started out as a way for me to try to get free advice. So my idea was like, let me just go to social media, post every single thing that I'm eating on a, on my Tumblr blog to get free advice from people. So I was hoping that there were um, trainers out there who were, who were following and just, just randomly on the internet and they could see the meals that I was posting and then they would give me feedback. And my idea was like, let me make the meals look as appetizing as possible because I don't want people to be like, that looks disgusting, it's terrible, and then I don't get the good feedback. So it really was this, it was a very selfish, self-serving um, thing that I was doing to crowdsource my diet. What I realized from there is that there are people out there who are just like me, who were who were just tired of cookie-cutter, bland diets. And so I was sharing my journey in food and how I'm discovering food, what I'm eating, and how I'm playing around with food. And people out there didn't really realize this or like I'm in that same place I'm going to try this recipe out that you just shared and oh my god I love it too so that's how fit men cook community was born it was just born out of this idea of me trying to problem solve for myself and people I guess saw themselves in in my in, in my journey in food um and you know fast forward I remember starting on my blog in the summer of 2012 in August and then November 30th of 2012, I hit 10,000 followers on like Instagram and my friends, we were in New York and they were like, oh my God, this is the biggest thing ever. Can't believe it, man. You're blowing up. And we just, you know, had a good laugh about it. And then I posted this photo that pretty much went viral on Pinterest and Tumblr and, um, and it was a banana split. <clears throat> and it's a banana split, something that I would have every day after I went like running or something in the morning, like my own like fasted cardio. And it was, a banana with Greek yogurt, granola, a little bit of um, a tablespoon of like cacao, and some berries. 
posted that. People loved the photo, and it went viral. So I went from 10,000 to over 100,000 by, by January in that short amount of time. And it just began just to grow. And then I think the tipping point for me or one of the tipping points to, to make me realize that maybe this is something else was that I had gotten um, an email from bodybuilding.com. Now, this was before all the Instagram, I'm sorry, all of the, you know, the Amazon days. So bodybuilding.com was like the, was like one of the top websites in the world at the time. So everybody went there for all their health and wellness news and to get supplements. So I got an email from them and I thought it was spam. So I didn't respond. Two weeks later, I got a follow-up email. So I was like, let me just hop on, you know, like, let me respond to it. And they said, can we hop on a call? So I did. I was still working at my job at the time. So I went to this conference room just to take the call, thinking it's just going to be a quick one. And they had the entire editorial board on the call with the editor-in-chief of bodybuilding.com. And they said, we've been trying to reach you because our athletes absolutely love your recipes. They love your enthusiasm. Will you come and write for us? And I was so shocked. And I was thinking, first off, do you know what I look like? Because I don't look like your athletes. I'm still in, in my transformation piece. Um, but they're like, we want you to write for us. We love, you know, uh, like your approach to food. Um, and that was the first moment where I thought, okay, maybe this is bigger than, 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 you know, than what I'd originally planned out. Um, and then fast forward 2014, I ended up in January, I decided that I was going to quit my job at the top of the year. So I quit my job and then fast forward a year from that, um, people were asking about, a book and everything else, but I just didn't feel that that was the time, but everybody was also wanting an app. So we created an app, launched that in 2015 on my birthday in May. And that was, I think maybe that was the second time where I thought like, all right, this is a much bigger thing because when we launched the app, um, I was super nervous because I was in the UK at the time doing this, um, doing a conference and we launched it. Um, I think around lunchtime, the UK time, which is six hours ahead. And the point I'm making is that the app debuted at number one before we even announced it in the US. So by the time we announced it in the US by lunchtime, the app was already the number one app in 80 different countries. And it was across all of the categories in the Apple store in the US and also the Great Britain. It was the top selling app. Wow. That's crazy. That's amazing, man over all the different categories, games, you know, food, all of them. And so we got an email from Apple and I'm there with the developer and we're freaking out. And they're like, can we hop on the call? And then Apple was just like, we want to, we want to know about your brand, what you're about. They begin to follow and they begin to endorse the app. And in 2015, we got best of the Apple store in 2015. And Apple has been a great um, proponent of the app. We have our own page inside the app store and that's been able to catapult us into other, uh, um, into other things too. We have another app that we've developed and that one is doing amazingly well too, to help people to eat healthy. So, um, those now, were the two points where I thought things were changing for us. Now, who's the app really for? I mean, I know it's called fit men cook and obviously you, you probably get a lot of, of guys that use it, but I'm sure there's a lot of, um, women that use it as well, right? Yeah, the Fit Men Cook community is about 60-40, actually. It's 60% women, 40% men. Wow. I've always tell people, like, by and large, right, women are the reason why Fit Men Cook has the longevity and also has the momentum. If you look at the way that men, you know, engage online, we rarely, 
we rarely kind of like engage and say things and you know do that because I'm the same way. I don't really talk on people's pages, but women they're tagging their boyfriends, they're tagging their sisters, they're tagging their partners, they're tagging everybody saying, oh my God, you know, this is so great. Let's go ahead and make this. And they're broadcasting it and really sharing it out. And that gives us a lot of legs. Oh, that's so cool, man. So I want to know, because something that I, um, I mean, I think it's really interesting that you, that you, a, you brought up the point of the 60, 40 thing. I would have never honestly expected that. Obviously I expected there to be a good bit of women, but the 60, 40 thing, um, it's pretty interesting considering the name of the app. Um, and, I, what I wanted to know is, as somebody who I was, I was so good at meal prepping for such a long time, and then of course, like anything else, you get kind of, you get kind of bored. It gets challenging. I mean, I still eat, you know, very healthy, but my my way of meal prepping is not like it used to be. What are like some of your top tips when it comes to meal prepping to make it more, you know, efficient and easy that you think that um, not only myself but the audience would appreciate knowing? Uh, yeah. Well, whenever you start small. Whenever you, so people will post those photos on Instagram where there's like 25 or 30 things of Tupperware all with all the food. Don't do stuff like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> why? That's, that's, yeah, why? You're setting yourself up for failure, right? Yeah, it's going to take a long time. Whenever you start out with just like one meal, just prepping like one recipe, I think that you get your confidence up. And what you'll learn to do is how to make that recipe a lot more efficiently. So because – one of my biggest things for meal prep to make it easier is that you've got to multitask. Right. So you ever stop um, moving. And most people, they'll like, all right, I'm going to make this one recipe here and just do that and then move on to the next one. That's not the way that meal prep goes. You're prepping everything at one time so you can be in and out of the kitchen in less than two hours. It's very much so possible. So, um, so that's the first tip is to never stop moving. If you're not cooking, then you're cleaning up. If you're not cleaning up, then you're setting out your stuff for your containers. If you're not doing that, then you're cooking again. And if you're not doing that, then you're cleaning. Repeat that cycle until you're done. I guarantee it works every single time. Um, the second thing that I've learned in that, um, you know, for meal prep is one thing that people ha I've discovered have a um, issue with is just getting burned out with the food, having the same thing. So if you're new to meal prep, I want you just to prep one recipe for three days not five days, just three days, and then prep again like you know, like midweek, right? If you're a little bit more advanced in meal prep and you know how to cook and whatnot, then I do this thing called called mix and match meal prep, where instead of focusing on like one recipe, then I'm gonna focus on the foods that I would like to eat that week. So maybe I'm gonna cook up a big thing of farro or brown rice, and I'm gonna have maybe my proteins are gonna be chicken and salmon. I'll prep those two individually. Maybe I want some roasted vegetables, or maybe I want some chickpeas. I'll I'll, I'll make either one of those, um, and then maybe I'll have some fresh fruit or something. And I call that mix and match meal prep because then from day to day, what I can do is I can build I can build my meals the way that I would like. I can add in different sauce, I can add in avocado, I can add in other stuff, and I could completely change the flavor profile of the say of the of my meals, but it's just the same food that I prepped at the very beginning of the week. And that's a way to trick your taste buds into getting variety. Call that mixing and matching. So again, don't focus on one recipe, focus on prepping things in big batches um, and then mixing them together the way that you see fit throughout the week. 
Yeah, I, and gosh, you, you, the things you just said are just so simple, yet you forget, right? The whole, like, saving the time, because that's one of the biggest struggles I know for me is, like, having to clean up everything afterwards, right? It's like trying to stay multitask and know that, like, you know, while something's in the oven, you could be cleaning, or while something's in the oven, you could be chopping up something. Do you have a method as far as, like, do you do, like, poultry and then, you know, cook, prepare your vegetables, like, while you're doing that? Like, is there a, is there a method to how you actually do the actual prep work, or is it kind of just yeah. as you go? Yeah, I do. I cook the things that are going to take the longest first. So if I'm roasting vegetables, those are going to go in. Protein usually cooks pretty quickly, so you don't have to start out with that. Protein is usually the last thing that I cook. And that's because that's good. I can chop up all the vegetables and all that stuff. I can cook my rice and get that stuff going. And while the rice is cooking or the pasta is cooking or something else, then the stuff is roasting in the oven. I got potatoes, you know, baking. And then protein literally takes no more than 30 minutes, if not 20 minutes, to make like a big batch of it. So protein is usually the last thing that I do. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of – I'm glad you said that because I do the opposite. So I no wonder I'm like the worst at meal prep um, because I – and it makes sense because you're right. Protein does, if you think about like time, you can just – it takes the least amount to cook the vegetables as far as preparing, seasoning them, throwing them in the oven or whatever you got to do. definitely takes a lot longer if you think about it, and I, I appreciate you kind of pointing that out. And I know people probably see, you know, Fit Men Cook, Kevin Curry. you got millions of followers. you got your own app that's, that's crushing it. you got a book out there. You seem happy. Um, I know, though, that everyone struggles with adversity. Everyone still struggles with things no matter how rich you are, how famous you are, how much money you have, no matter what it is. We're all, we all go through life. Talk about like something maybe in the last few months, you know, maybe six months or a year that you've really struggled with and how you've kind of nav- – what, what kind of tools you use now to navigate through um, adversity and um, kind of how you got through it. Can you repeat that question one more time? Yeah, so – what I was gonna, what I was asking was, and you know, people think that when you get successful, like yourself, that you know, you don't ever struggle with anything anymore. You don't get stressed out. You don't get anxious. You don't get depressed. And I know that's not the case for for anybody. We all struggle with things. So I wanted you to kind of talk about maybe like a time in the last few months where you've had something maybe come up that wasn't expected. You hit a like a roadblock or an obstacle. Like how you managed it, how you got through it, what kind of things you did uh, to kind of make sure that that depression or whatever it was didn't spiral in, in, into anything deeper. Um, well, you know, it's funny. I'm actually writing a second book right now, and that one's going to be about um, it's going to be about our relationship with food, but it's going to be through the lens of like depression and anxiety and how you can find your way back to happiness through recipes and through food. So I'm going to save that stuff for that. But what I can say is that I mean, like you're right, depression is, is not something that just kind of like you just turn off or you can just like yeah, people can you can live very well, you can live happy, you can be free. Um, but you may still struggle with like depression. So that's just something that I've just kind of learned to, to, um, you know, like to manage. But one thing I guess that aside from, from the depression would be, we just launched some spices recently and it was, yeah, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it, it was, it was, uh, basically this is my first time in the history of Fitman Cook, just kind of really stepping out there in a brand new way. Usually whenever I've done partnerships and work with people, like they can fit the bill. But it's something else whenever you're putting your own stuff on the line. You're putting your own money up for it. Um, and you're saying, all right, I feel like this is dope. I really believe in the product. And now instead of relying on someone else's money, I'm going to put my own money. So it was um, it, it was really uncomfortable for me in the very beginning um, to go ahead and do that. And 
learning about the different things, um, you know, like setting up an Amazon store and we thought it was just going to be a pretty simple and seamless thing to do because everybody does it, right? Everyone sells on Amazon, so it must be really simple. Didn't know that. It was not. It was not that way. So Amazon hit us with a whole bunch of penalties behind the scenes um, about the spices and about where where we could sell. We can only sell like in the U.S. We've got to set up a store in all these different countries. And so it set us back a little bit and kind of knocked the wind out of me. And I was thinking, like, should I just go ahead and postpone the entire thing until until we can get it right, until we can have the different stores set up, because we've got significant followings in, in different countries, in Mexico, in the UK, in Canada, in Australia. Um, and I was thinking maybe we should just go ahead and postpone it. Um, and then we had a labeling issue on the labels, and it was just, it, it just didn't feel right. And one of the things that I had to remind myself of um, was how I started and the key learning from when I got started. And I promised myself that if this ever came up again, that I would respond to it differently. And the, and the problem was this, is that as a creator, you're really in love with your brand. You're really in love with, with what you're doing and you're really in love with your vision. But sometimes the vision that, that you have in your mind isn't what's going to be the, isn't the thing that actually first comes out and you've got to be okay with that. Meaning, like you've heard this all the time that you're never going to be ready. It's never going to be perfect. And if you continue just to wait for things to be perfect, then you're going to miss your shot. You're going to miss that window of opportunity. So there I am thinking maybe we should just go ahead and postpone this. And by postponing it, we're going to be launching in 2020 instead of 2019. So we're going to miss the holiday rush. Um, but I thought that it was worth it. And one of the things that I remembered was just the success that I had whenever I got out of my own way a long time ago, when I let somebody else come in and help out with the creative and film and to edit the videos. Um, whenever I, you know, we started to build a team and we had people doing things and I didn't have to do everything and just how easy that was. And so I told myself, Kevin, you don't, don't do this again. Um, it's not going to be perfect. And I feel like we have enough equity in the fit men cook community in terms of like goodwill and putting out good things that they can trust us. Um, and as long as you're going to be trustworthy, Kevin, and, and, and you, and, and, and you sell it, then I think that's going to go over like much better. So I decided at the very end, you know, at the last minute, not to postpone it. Let's just go ahead and go with all the flaws and everything else. And the crazy thing is this. All the stuff that we were worried about, <laughs> nobody even commented on. That's <laughs> the, really the way it goes, right? <laughs> nobody really cared. Nobody said there's not one comment that we can we can or email or message coming from anyone that we could really point to. Um, and so that was th that was one of the things. And then the second thing was the pricing. I was just not as hands-on with the pricing when it first came out, and I was in the space like, let me let other people lead. And when it came out. I ignored my gut. My gut check was, I don't like the price. I don't like the price. I don't like the price. And I ignored that. And then when it came out, I realized that, oh, man, I should have changed the price. And somebody said something to me, and it was this. You know that you own the company, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I just, and I was like, oh, I can change the price whenever I want. So just go and do it and put it out there. And then offer like a rebate or something to everybody else who bought it and then move on with your life, Kev. And I did that. And I just – so um, I'm really happy about that just because the, 
the old Kevin would have waited. We, we would have been still trying to create the perfect website, the perfect store to go ahead and launch. But let's just launch this thing. It's a dope product. It's going to speak for itself. Gosh, it's it's funny, and and it's you bring up a really good point, man. That like a lot of times the things we're worried about never. Most of them we can't control, and the rest don't that they don't ever happen, right? And like so, I think you explaining how you navigated that, how you kind of just knew that you know you had to kind of just take things for what they were, and then do what you needed to do to kind of get through it. It's just something we can all like learn from because a lot of times we hit points like that. And we let it stress ourselves out to the point where we don't even follow through with it or we don't even – we give up on our dreams. We give up on you know things we want to do. So I want to segue this into the last question I ask every guest, um, which I th- I'm excited to hear your response on, is that you know imagine you know young Kevin. So maybe you're you know, 15 years old, is going through a dark time in, in his life. And, um, and talk about like what advice you would give to Kevin to navigate through that that dark time um to help him get through it yeah um and this is about like depression or just that dark time in general just in general you know if somebody i'm just trying to you know if somebody's going through a dark time you know what kind of i'm just trying to hear hear everybody's like spin on what they would tell them to do exactly what kind of things they would have them do or if they was a, a person to talk to or that sort of thing yeah um well i i would tell young kevin this um I would say, first off, there's nothing wrong with you. And I felt like for such a long time, I, I really felt that about myself. Like there was something wrong because the way that I was feeling, um, that I was feeling off. And I just couldn't shake myself. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't shake myself into happiness. I couldn't just respond. And people were like, well, just be happy. Stop thinking about it. I felt that I was broken. Um, and so I would remind young Kevin that there's nothing wrong with me um, fundamentally. It's just that you struggle with like depression and we just got to come up with different strategies to help you out so you can feel better. But there's nothing wrong with you. Like you're not broken. You're right where like, you need to be. Um, a big thing in my life, though, that like has helped me out um, is my faith. And one thing that I did and that I would tell 15 year old Kevin to do is to practice speaking well of yourself and listening to yourself. So adult Kevin had to do this later on. And I went into the bathroom one day and I looked in the mirror and this was the most, like even just thinking about the story right now, I feel like my cheeks getting flushed because it just, the emotion comes right back. And I looked in the mirror and I said, God, I know you love me. And I kept repeating that to myself in the mirror until I finally believed it. And when I believed it, my emotional response was completely different. I was like destroyed (laughs) emotionally because I didn't realize that I had come to believe that I wasn't loved. So I would tell Kevin, young Kevin, to go and do that so that way he can remind himself that he's loved and he's valued as a person here on this earth um, and that he's got a purpose um, and that your life is worth something. So all those negative thoughts that you have about taking out your life and not being here, those things are bad because you you, you actually have a purpose here and you're loved. Um, and then from there, I turned that into things about myself. 
that I, you know, that I wanted to say, Kevin, you are smart. Kevin, you got it going on. You can really do this. You've got what it takes to succeed. It's all those things that I would laugh at when I would read in books or see other people maybe talk about doing. But I wish young Kevin could have gotten to the habit of hearing himself speak well of himself. So I had to learn that at a, at a, at a later age. Um, and it's great now. It's so great to the point where I don't spend time around people, around groups that I feel that don't really edify, you know, people in general or, or like edify me. And what that means is like, you know, when people always post things about like, oh, these haters after me and everybody, else, oh, these people. And, you know, you got friends on Facebook that are like, right, 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 yeah. oh, oh, this person said this, but let me, and they, then they send out these cryptic messages <laughs> to each other about people being after them and I and now I kind of chuckle at that not laughing at them but just because I'm so far removed from that because I don't spend time with people that I feel don't like me because I've come to like Kevin a lot so and that's because Kevin got comfortable with himself and Kevin made friends with himself a long time ago um I go ahead no, I was just going to say, like, I mean, I was almost tearing up listening to what you were saying when you were standing in the mirror because, you know, I struggle with a lot of that too, that negative self-talk of trying to change. You know, I almost call, I've heard it called the third word, like instead of saying, you know, I am fat, saying, you know, I am healthy, instead of saying, you know, I am hated, I am loved, like just the power of just changing, you know, neuro, neurologic, 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 I can't speak, neurologic, yeah, that's, yeah. that word, um, how you how you speak and talk about yourself can just change the com- di- the complete dynamic of how you go throughout your day. And if you're constantly telling yourself negative things, and you're going to be negative, but if you're telling yourself positive things, you're going to be positive. And not every situation in life is positive, right? You're, the whole thing you talked about with Amazon isn't positive. You going through a bad breakup isn't positive, but the way you go about it and talk to yourself through it, you know, needs to be positive to kind of get through it. And um, I just I just think your wisdom there was just was so spot on, and how you how you talk to yourself. You know, really matters and changing that and hanging out with people that bring the best out in you and not, you know, wasting time with people that gossip, not wasting time with people that don't share your same beliefs and dreams because it's just going to weigh you weigh you down at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't want people to, to be listening to this and think that, like, you know, well, stuff happens, Kev. Just like you said, I mean, if you, if you have a bad breakup, that stuff is bad. It's not, we're not trying to discredit or say that that stuff doesn't exist. What we're doing is we're changing out our response because if you rehearse things long enough, you rehearse those things long enough. When you when you are really at a low place, that's all you have are those negative thoughts. But when you can rehearse and practice being powerful, you know though that's what you're going to actually fall back on when you're when your back is against the wall. And I really, really, really mean this, especially the people listening to this podcast. Um, one of my biggest things is, um, I've seen a huge correlation between fitness and depression when I, when I work with people, um, and talk about like, you know, like what's their why for, you know, for being motivated. And a lot of it comes from like a place of hurt. And what we've done as a, as a society is that we've learned to anesthetize pain through fitness, meaning like it's the best motivating thing, you know, I'm going to get my like revenge body back and and it's filled with all these things, which can be really motivating. But at the end of the day, whenever you got your revenge body or whenever you look the way that you look, that you're still unhappy. 
and you're still trying to chase that, you're still trying to find that happiness. Well, that's because all that negative self-talk did, that just helped you to lift some weights and made you, you know, a little bit maybe just obsessive. I'm not saying this for everybody, so don't take this the wrong way. But for some people, they've I've seen them take it to the extreme, and they still emerge as this really un, unhappy and really empty person. So acknowledge the bad times. Acknowledge like, man, you know what? That that really hurt. I'm really disappointed by X Y Z. But you know what? I got this. That's what I'm talking about. That's how you switch that around. Rather than, man, here you go again, like messing up. This is what I'm talking about. You can't get it right. That's different. So, so true. Kevin, man, you uh, you dropped a lot of wisdom, man. As somebody who, um, when people see you on the surface, they see you got this app, they see you got the cookbook, they see you as this you know, chef, but really deep down, um, I know spiritually you're, you're very grounded, you have a strong faith in God, and you, know, you practice what you preach, and you have a very strong message uh, on the mental health aspect as well, and I'm looking forward to getting your, your second book when it comes out. Where can people find out more about you? Where can they grab the spices? Where can they grab the book? Obviously, the, the, uh, the app's on the Apple Store. Um, where can people, though, buy like your products and stuff? Yeah, you know what? They can actually get both the book and the spices from Amazon. You go to Amazon.com slash FitmanCook, um, and you can get the spices there. Um, you can get a box set. And then if you just type in Fitman Cook in Amazon, it's like the first thing that comes up is the Fitman Cookbook. You can get it there or anywhere books are sold. I think Barnes & Noble is still carrying it. They do a lot during the holidays because people are trying to do like the New Year, New Me. So it may still be up there in that section at, at some bookstores. Cool, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you you hopping on here, and, and everyone listening to this, um, you heard a tale of somebody who who really went from you know the depths of despair and, and not really sure of where he wanted to go, and using um, food to kind of kickstart his journey, and now you know he's landed himself into being somebody who's helping millions of people. So, Kevin, once again, thank you so much for hopping on here. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate you. God bless you, bro. You're listening to the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we will see you next time.